We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. It is our Sunday SEC basketball conversation with Bracken Ray. We talked about Ole Miss's two in a week with wins over Florida and Vanderbilt. Matthew Morell's emergence, Breakfield's huge game in the win over Florida. Ole Miss sitting at two and one in the conference and what's ahead next week. A look around the SEC and a whole lot more. Buckle up, a lot of hoops talk. I think you'll enjoy it as this team continues to be one of the stories of college basketball this season. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Cspire. Check them out. Cspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys, if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you. Because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50 plus units total they're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. You got NFL playoffs coming up. You got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. 
skyboxsports.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better people be like where the hell did you get this awesome stuff like lb's university avenue in oxford it is a crown jewel of the south a crown jewel of oxford check them out today lb's university avenue here's bracken all right we now welcome on rippy rights basketball correspondent former andy kennedy staffer bracken ray a historic day for the podcast it is mid-january and we're doing a basketball podcast does not involve a uh, a eulogy or a coaching surge yeah, I know. It's nice to it's nice to be able to talk about um, a competitive basketball team. And uh, I don't think any of us would have thought, you know, we'd be sitting here at 15 and one, you know, nine or 10 months ago. Yeah. And that would be a eulogy to a season uh, to, to clarify, not a, not a real eulogy there. Ole Miss is 15 and one. They're coming off a 69 to 56 win over Vanderbilt to cap off a two and a week at home. I was at both games. I guess we'll kind of start with the week that was as a whole. Coming off the Tennessee game, I thought this was a pretty important week for this team because I thought they needed to get off to a two, two and one start before they hit the road for a week this coming week, which we'll get to in a second. But did your opinion of the team at all really change after the Tennessee game? I, the score got lopsided. Tennessee was a hell of a lot better than Ole Miss, particularly on the glass. Ole Miss, I didn't think, was dynamic scoring enough to really crack the Tennessee defense. I didn't really have much of an opinion yeah. from that game and figured they'd rebound. Yeah, and look, I mean, Tennessee's a team that is, you know, good enough to go to the Final Four. Um, this is not very scientific or stats-based in any way, shape, or form, but I kind of felt like we were due a bad game, um, and it was a perfect storm playing a really good team uh, that plays well on both sides of the floor. So it was a little discouraging, um, but I did not, you know, season outlook, nothing really – changed I think it did make the Florida game a little bit more important from a litmus test standpoint of you know hey Ole Miss has played Memphis they played uh, North Carolina State who's you know a decent team right now but strength of schedule non-conference wasn't anything too crazy so it the going into Florida it felt like that game was just more important in general um, because it's too from a talent standpoint you know, similar teams, right? I think Florida is going to be a team that um, could be in the mix, you know, to get a, a tournament uh, bid. And so, you know, playing them at home and playing them as well as Ole Miss did and shooting damn near 60% from the field, it was it was a fun weeknight all around. Yeah, and shooting 60% always helps. That's clearly not really a sustainable number. But one of the things I thought was impressive, and look, it's it's one loss. It was their first loss of the season. But they really kind of had to look their most glaring weakness in the face. Like Florida's either the best or the second best defensive re- or rebounding team in the SEC as a whole. That's something Ole Miss doesn't do well. They got killed on the glass, particularly the offensive glass, but they were able to overcome that ridiculous shooting night all around as a team. They shoot 59%. But you get 23 from Morrell and 28 from Breakfield, two of your most veteran players, to kind of get you over the hump in a January game, for the lack of a better phrase, you kind of had to have. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think we've talked about this, you know, a few times and we've compared it to football as well. But, you know, good teams find um, a variety of ways to win games. And for Ole Miss, you know, the whole season it's been limiting the opponent's offensive rebounds. Ole Miss did a pretty terrible job of that against uh, Florida. They had 28 offensive rebounds, um, which is insane. But I thought Ole Miss was extremely efficient um, on offense and made shots. And, you know, this team is talented enough where different guys on different nights are going to be able to step up. And, you know, the past couple of games, it's been – it's been the guys that, um, you know, have been on the roster the past couple of years being Morell and Breakfield. Then you head into Saturday and Morell continues that performance. And I thought he mentioned something interesting after the game. They're talking about how it gets into the rhythm over the course of a game. And he said, it's always great to see that first shot go in. And they ran opening possession of the game, a pretty quick action. He got a pull up jumper right around the foul line and that goes down. And that's what he kind of mentioned is you love to see the first shot go down. It seems like, I don't know if it, trusting more is the right word, but Beard seems very comfortable with him as the primary scoring option as we get deeper into this season. Yeah, you know, one thing that's really interesting about this group so far, um, I, I did not expect the perimeter shooting as a team to be as good as it is, but Breakfield specifically. And we've probably talked the last podcast episode or two about how much of this has come about um, – Juju Murray being able to beat guys off the dribble and create separation, which has made Morell a better player. Morell, I think, has finished better this year around the rim. You know, I still at times, I think the biggest area of improvement in his game is beating guys off the dribble in a one-on-one -on -one settings, you know, without, without a ball screen. I think that honestly is what is keeping him from being a pro. Um, and so at times last year, there wasn't a whole lot of talent for that group. Morell was having to do things that he wasn't good at. So Bob Dunwald, um, who is an assistant for Ole Miss, if, you, if you're if you like coaching just in general, right, how staffs are assembled, Lane's got a really good one right now and is still kind of playing chess on putting pieces of the puzzle together for the 2024 season. Dunwald, if you watch him, you know, with Beard, he always sits right next to Beard. And then Beard has one of his other three assistants interchangeable on scout sitting in the closest bench, the bench closest to the court. So an example of this is Wes Flanagan, when Ole Miss plays Auburn, because he was an assistant for them last year, he'll sit at the very, um, you know, the, 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 the bench that is closest to the court. Um, today, FAU and UAB played Todd Abernathy, a former Andy Kennedy assistant and a former player for AK was in that spot. So you have those three assistants that rotate, but every game, Bob Dunwald, he's kind of the offensive coordinator and he's suggesting half court sets to run, but also your, um, you know, baseline out of bounds and sideline out of bound actions. And I just think he's done a really, really good job for the team this year. And so, Dug a little bit deeper, um, very, very crazy to look at this, but Ole Miss right now is top 15% in the country um, in points per possession, right? So that shows to efficiency. Last year, they were bottom 15% in the country in points per possession. Um, another stat is Ole Miss last year um, in three-point percentage shot 30% from the three-point line. 
that ranked 344th out of, I believe, 351 teams. This year to date, this year to date, they're shooting 40%, which is good for seventh in the country. Ole Miss basketball shooting seventh in the country. And look, you know, I think people knew that Breakfield, I think, was maybe 35% last year, the year before that. Morrell, you always know, could be a good shooter. But, you know, the guys that they added in career-wise have not been world beaters um, from shooting the three-point shot. It's been a lot of player development and how um, they've shared the ball and had really good shot selection this year on offense. So it's really interesting to see Beard is a – a defense guy and um, you know, some of the people that are in the national media, there's their one thing that they would say that they would kind of nitpick is his offensive have been average to good, but he's never had, you know, an elite offense. And like I said, you know, to date and strength of schedule, you know, 16 games into it, it's going to be a lot harder on the back half than the front half, but this team from, a points per possession and efficiency is, you know, top 15% in the country right now, which is just a drastic turnaround. So I kind of tie all that back to say, I think that Breakfield, um, I think it's two pieces. I think it's a, it's a development thing. I think they worked on his shot a little bit, but also just the way that this offense is efficient and he is getting more uncontested looks this year than last year. Um, I think is a big reason for the spike in his game. There were a couple interesting pieces in that. I want to expand a little bit more on the top part of it, where you have the rotating cast of assistants that are on scout. When you say the bench closest to the court, are you talking about he's on the front row versus like with beer versus the second row? Or are you talking about like the literal <laughs> seat that's closest to the, the literal, the seat closest to like, I guess the PA announcer, right? Yeah. The, like, like the, the scores the table. Very, that's right. The scores table. So um, before this year, you had three. You you've had three assistant coaches, um, and then in this summer they passed a whatever the NCAA passes to where now you really have five assistants, right? Two of them have a little bit more limited capacity. Um, so your three primary um, assistants right now for Ole Miss is Dunwald, uh, West Flanagan, and Al Pinkins. Okay, then um, your other assistant is or your other two spots is um brian berg who was georgia southern's head coach last year um and win case who was Ole Miss's interim coach last year what a lot of teams do is you just have one of your three assistants rotate on scout and it's a very hey what's the opponent running offensively but what beard's done you know from watching him in the cow game being able to sit behind him is he said, hey, I'm going to do what we've always done and had one one of my three rotate. Um, but then Dunwald's kind of the guy who is his, um, you know, his offensive coordinator. Um, he's he's recommending plays to call. And, and I mean, he literally, I don't know why it cracks me up, but this dude's got gelled back hair and his arm is always around beard. Um, he was he was actually a longtime NBA assistant um G League head coach and I think he was Yao Ming's Chinese national coach one year um I think in like 20 2009 2010 so just from kind of being a basketball nerd it's kind of fun to to watch him and what he has done uh for this offense you know here in the past two months 
And you talk about the the this how many points Ole Miss is. I don't know. We were talking about this yesterday while we were watching the game. Not stolen on ball out of bounds plays, but they seem to create at least eight to ten points a game from that. And they're very organized. They're getting very clean looks. You mentioned the three point shooting aspect of it, both being in the top fifteen percent this year and the bottom fifteen percent last year of all of college basketball. When you look at it SEC wise, they're clearly the top percentage wise in the SEC at forty percent. But they take the fewest or the second fewest, depending on when these stats have been updated versus That's this right. past game or the last game. Some of that has to speak to the quality of shot they're getting as well. Because like I, I think back to a couple like Nate Oates teams in the past couple of years where it's like, man, they're going to take X amount of threes per game. And if they're not falling, it's a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde there. It doesn't feel like Ole Miss has to lean on that on a nightly basis. They're just taking and getting very quality looks for the most part. Yes. And I think the two most impressive parts about that is like, a lot of quality looks is coaching, but a lot of it's also buy-in to not jack up shitty spots, shots. Because when you're a coach, you can't go out there and handhold your players, all right? Sometimes they're going to ISO themselves and jack up some contested look that they shouldn't that's not in the flow of the offense. The other thing that I think is impressive about it, and damn, he had a good game against Florida, but at times Ole Miss is playing four on five offensively when Sharp is in the game. Um, you know, they're not running any action for him. There's some times where he's in position for offensive rebounds and maybe trash buckets, and he's just weak and he drops the ball, whatever the case may be. So I think that the two things that I've been really impressed in is the ball movement and lack of jacking up contested looks. A lot of that is buy-in, um, and definitely you know that, you know, Beard's got full control over this team, and then you know, the second piece is there's been a lot of even Kermit teams that have had an offensive threat on the inside. You know, think Romello White, I mean, Nas Brooks to an extent. They don't have that at all. And so they're, you know, they're a little bit limited for the opponent. Defensively, you can play things a little bit differently. So the fact that um, they have been efficient as they have, you know, low attempts, high percentage has been super impressive. Minute dispersion has been interesting to me because this the the start of this week against Florida, they finally started CSA. Seems like Brandon Murray the last couple of games is playing more minutes. But is some of this just matchup dependent? Like Sharp's kind of the the enigma in this, right? He's a seven foot five guy, as you mentioned, doesn't offer a ton offensively. But you have a night against Florida where Breakfield, they're riding the hot hand a little bit. He's eleven to sixteen shooting, has twenty eight points in thirty six minutes. He only plays twenty two minutes on Saturday. Foul trouble wasn't really an issue with him there. What do you kind of see going on with the front court and how they're handling that? And how much of it do you believe yeah. is matchup dependent? Yeah, I think a little bit of it is matchup dependent. Um, they're going to get super nervous playing Sharp in situations when you have a super physical big. The reason that Sharp's minutes were as high as they were on Wednesday is Cissé couldn't stay out of foul trouble. Um, I actually think outside of fouling um, in the minutes he played, he had a pretty efficient game. Um, one thing that I'm starting to notice with him over the past two weeks or so is he's starting to show you what he can do a little bit offensive rebounding as well. He's putting himself in positions and getting rebounds with a guy or two kind of on his back um, because he's just getting in better position quicker. And so for Ole Miss, you know, obviously the the big piece is, hey, we need to limit our opponent's offensive rebounds, but also anytime you get an offensive rebound yourself, obviously that's an extra possession. And um, 
how far this team goes, you know, is very, I mean, it's very rebound dependent in my, in my head. Uh, you've got good guards at this point. You've got a little bit of depth. Um, and it's a really good locker room, it seems like. So I think that's the big piece going forward. Rebounding and then the offensive side of it, determining how good of an offense this team is, how much do you think that hinges upon Jamie and Brakefield? Yeah, it's there's definitely um, – in the past couple of weeks, it's it's smoothed out a little bit. But my big worry going into the season is just like the 27-1 game and then the four the next, right? And it's just very inconsistent and sporadic. He's also one that I think is benefiting from – you know, some of these uncontested looks, but he's also, even in an old man game, beating guys off the dribbles, you know, kind of starting around the free throw line and finishing pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Breakfield's consistency is going to be huge for this team as well. The one kind of storyline that I'm super interested in seeing, and your guards offensively, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it type thing, but They've got to get Brandon Murray going a little bit. This guy averaged 14 a game last year um, at Georgetown and I think was at all freshman team SEC at LSU his freshman year. It's not really a – it's more of a nice-to-have than a must-have for this offense. But I think it's they're – tr- they're struggling a little bit getting him into a rhythm because of how well Juju Murray's playing right now. And that's something we talked about at the beginning of the year, right? Before Juju Murray became the storyline and really just having the per- consistent performance he's had for the first part of the season, it was if Brandon Murray is not going to get eligible, how can they hold off at that guard spot with Juju Murray? And then now you get him eligible and Murray's become the other Murray. Juju has become what he's become. Is it How do they kind of thread that needle of finding, not finding a role, but as you just said, getting him in a rhythm? Like I know they finally went with starting – Musa Cisse in this last uh, this last week, starting against Florida, I imagine that's probably something that's going to stay. Is Brendan Murray ever a starter for this team, or do you think this kind of remains? He's a bench guy, and now they kind of have to figure out how he's that sixth guy that has the most impact on the game. That's not a starter. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I the piece is, you know, Juju Murray's just played so well this year. In my head, the first. You know, I guess at least November and then bleeding into December a little bit. My thought process is this Juju Murray guy's better than I thought he was. But what happens when you've got a point guard, you know, that's um, either physical or you need um, an upgrade defensively for an on ball defender? Brandon Murray's a very athletic, very physical. Um, strong on-ball defender. He's a lot better defensively than Juju Murray is. And Juju Murray's not a big guy either. So I think um, they're doing exactly what they should, which is just keep giving him minutes. I would love for him to have a 15 or 20-point game here, you know, within the next week just to give him that momentum a little bit. But I think what you're going to see with Brandon Murray's role is, hey, when SEC play – you know, we keep getting into SEC play. There's going to be um, longer and more physical guards that you play against. There may be times where, you know, Brandon Murray for a stretch um, is a better option at the one than uh, Juju Murray is. And Brandon Murray always is going to be able to play on the wing some as well. 
It would help if they had different last names because that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow. <laughs> using one based off of their shared last name as well, but that is going to be an interesting piece as well on both ends of the floor. And I'm curious to see how that fleshes itself out over the next few games and as they get deeper into this SEC season. They're really good at home. I was there. The games are well attended. Obviously, it doesn't help that Ole Miss has the super long Christmas break. They need to get the students back. But they're a pretty tough out in their own building, and that's not something Ole Miss has always had. It's kind of a simplistic question, but how does how do you develop that? How do you develop that kind of confidence on your home floor in that short amount of time with this team that continues to exceed expectations? Because, I mean, as we've seen the last couple of years, that has not always been the case. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that just comes from, you know, when you have a, host, a hostile environment. Um, I don't know. I haven't been to a game there yet. I don't know if it's quite hostile but it seems like it's been good and people have been engaged but it is the difference in you know two or three points and a lot of these guys feed off of that energy as well so um and then how do you keep it you know how do you keep the people coming I mean it's the experience and winning um you know that's the that's the big piece there it took Bruce Pearl a couple years to get it going um but you know Ole Miss is 15 and one right now there's some uh, good home games on the schedule. And then to your point, students have been great even without, you know, even during the school break. Um, but, you know, with school back in session, I think it's going to be rowdy uh, for that Arkansas game the 24th. We'll get back to Bracken in just one second. But before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Factor. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, plus veggie, and more, Plus, over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolution. Skip the overpriced takeout trap. Factor is cheaper and way more delicious than takeout. Get chef-crafted restaurant-quality meals delivered right to your door. They're ready to heat and eat in just two minutes, which means more time for you. Factor has everything you need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold Press juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep you energized during frantic times. Head to factormeals.com slash MPW50 and use MPW50 to get 50% off. That's MPW50factormeals.com. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary-Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. Okay, back to Bracken. 
I think so as well. And then I kind of have my eye on, I, I don't know if they play a Saturday home game between the recording this podcast and the game I'm referring to. I might have it wrong, but that Auburn game, it's a five o'clock yeah. game, Saturday, February 2nd or 3rd, whatever that first Saturday is in February. That's going to be one. I've already had a couple of people ask me for tickets for that game. Apparently that's already a tough <laughs> ticket to get. That kind of feels like a, I don't know about program on the map game, but that feels like that could be a seminal moment as far as the intangible pieces of all this in this whole storyline, the crowd, the home court advantage and all of that. I kind of have my eye on that game as well, but it's really just remarkable to see where they're at. I mean, I would have never guessed 15 and one going into this, but now as we kind of look ahead here, they're sitting at two and one in the sec. They got a long way to go. As you know, you can have a bad week or a couple of bad weeks that changes the dynamic of a season and changes that conversation. But how well equipped do you think they are to make it through these final 15 games and be comfortably in the NCAA tournament come March 12th or whatever the hell that is? Not yeah. Well, I still, I still that. think that, um, you know, 10 total, including Nashville kind of feels like you're for sure in the one thing that's very interesting is the biggest piece about the Saturday game against Vanderbilt is barring something super crazy happening, maybe with like an Arkansas or Missouri, there are zero opportunities left on the schedule for a bad loss. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Which means past, present, and future from a resume standpoint, there are zero opportunities for a super bad loss, right? You're Arkansas, Missouri, uh, maybe even LSU. I think they're hovering in that like 100 to 120 range. Um, But, you know, Vandy was like 250 and you didn't lose any non-conference games. And that's a that's a huge, huge thing. There is the game control piece of Ole Miss didn't win by, you know, a ton in some of these non-conference games. I still go back to how does the committee look at games where CSA and Brandon Murray didn't play, especially if we look up and Murray averages eight a game in SEC play and CSA is averaging seven or eight rebounds a game. That's a pretty big deal. Um, Memphis is playing really well right now. NC State's a hair better. Um, than I think we all expected them to be. So, you know, there's a there's a lot there. But I think they're equipped. I mean, look at just – I think 80 or 90% of this is rebounding. I really do. So, Ole Miss rebounded pretty well against um, Vanderbilt on Saturday. That's, you know, kind of a tough one to – that's a tough sample size, though. Um, but the Florida game, they didn't. So, that's the, that's the one stat that you want to – 
get tighter. You may not ever be consistently winning, you know, the rebound margin, but it can't be 10 to 12 uh, differential a game. Outside of size, what goes into that? Like, if you're a bad rebounding team, how does that? How do you get to be a bad rebounding team? And has that changed? Like, I, I obviously the big thing is size, but is there anything else to it other than that? Yeah, I think for this group right now, I mean, Flanagan statistically is averaging a lot of rebounds, but when he plays four, you know, he's a he's a smaller four, and then Breakfield also statistically, you know, is not a terrible rebounder, but he. I've talked to I talked to a college coach that scouted Ole Miss earlier this year, and I asked him his thoughts, and he said Breakfield at times um, doesn't get into great position. So I think for them, what they've got to do is I think um, Cisse's minutes have to just increase and increase and increase because you know he's going to go get boards. Coming down to how you teach it, I mean, a lot of rebounding is effort and angles, um, just – and get you know the angles, being able to block out and getting into good position, and then just wanting to go get the ball. Sometimes 50-50 balls, it's just who wants it more. Um, and so I, I think the big thing that I've noticed with Ole Miss is sometimes defensively they're in good position, but they don't release quick enough to go grab the ball. They just kind of sit there and wait for it. And then if you sit there and wait for it, and four out of the five guys on your team – have done a good job getting in positioning, but one hasn't, well, there goes the guy, you know, from the opposite team getting the offensive rebound, releasing himself when your four guys were in good position and could have released themselves. And as you've been on from the start, Cissé was supposed to be, or is again, still supposedly kind of the key cog in all of this and this improving and his minutes are slowly going up, right? He started two games this past week. I'm curious to see as they let him play, you know, more minutes as a full-fledged starter. I think he only played 11 minutes against Florida and 19 against Vanderbilt, despite being a starter. He actually played more off the bench at Tennessee. Like, does, does that become a thing where he gets played almost like almost like the guards are getting? Does he have to become a 30-minute-a-game guy, 25? When you mentioned his minutes increasing, how what is the threshold for that? How far up do you think it has to go? Yeah, I think um, I don't think you'll ever see him averaging more than about 25 in his career. He's been in that 22 range. Um, but the thing is, like, he is a great rim protector, you know, shot blocker. Sharp is elite, right? What Cissé gives you is he's a little bit of a less of a liability on the offensive end of the uh, floor. He's a better rebounder. He was second in the Big 12 last year in rebounds, playing 22 minutes a game. And then um, the third thing is, He's a lot more coordinated than Sharp, so when Beard switches on defense, he can handle those matchups a lot better on guards um, and kind of contain and keep people in front of him. So I think it's just kind of there's – a, there's a few different things that are positives of increasing his utilization. One last thing before we look around the SEC a little bit, just the opponent side of this. Vanderbilt, I know we may have talked a little bit about this on the last podcast episode we did – but they were a team that really played well the second half of the season. They got some minutes going into the NIT. We'll get to the whiny comments from Stackhouse after the loss yesterday for Vanderbilt. But what happened to them? I know they're young, but I figured that was a team that, you know, without knowing the inner workings of how their roster turns over on a given year, would have taken another step forward this year. And it seems like anything but, and he kind of feels like a dead man walking. Yeah, I think they um, dealt a little bit with the injury bug. And then in the offseason, I think, 
They also, you know, lost three guys to the transfer portal um, outgoing that were contributors for them. Um, so that was, you know, that that's kind of a, a piece of it as well for Vanderbilt this year. What is what is that job like in terms of recruiting kids? I mean, look, you had the comments yeah. yesterday where he called him the best team money can buy. He mentioned the seven footers, despite Ole Miss not actually being a great rebounding team. But they, he said they went and got upperclassmen and added depth in the portal and all of that. And he's like, we don't get juniors and seniors transferred to Vanderbilt. Comments aside, what is that job like? They've recruited well in spots there in the past. What has gone wrong under his tenure? And like, what kind of kids does, they, does Vandy typically recruit? Yeah, I mean, it's always historically been, you know, kind of a bottom four team. Stallings did a really good job there. Um, you know, I've said it before, I think they – it would have been crazy to do very, you know, radical, but I would have given Bryce drew another year um, just because he had NBA talent that was getting hurt. Um, you know, the deal with them is obviously their academic standards are higher than some and NIL in the past has been an issue. What's a little interesting to me is obviously Vandy as a fan base is probably not as crazy about sports as an Ole Miss is. But that is a very wealthy alumni base. And there are some people that care about sports. Um, what's interesting to me is there's a lot of talk that Vandy football NIL is starting to get some momentum. A. B, Bryce Drew signed two five-stars and had one five-star committed, which means they had money at that time. And C, I mean, Kevin Stallings, if you look at his tenure, you know, I think he was able to raise some money at that point in time as well. So um, why they can't do it right now, I don't know. I think last year would have been the year to try to capitalize off of it because, you know, you were 11 and 7 and, you know, went to the NIT and all of that. It looked like there was upper trajectory despite starting your first two years with, you know, three total conference wins each year. Um, so it, it is a tough thing. The one thing I think is a little bit that gets played a little bit too much is the academic piece. I don't think this is like Stanford, you know, and some of these other. Vandy has a program called Peabody um, that is probably very similar to getting into uh, Florida or Georgia, both undergrad and grad programs. So when when I when you hear the academic comments. When Stackhouse said the junior-senior thing, I guess what he was talking about is if you have somebody that takes freshman and sophomore classes at some, you know, kind of shitty academic school, their tr credits don't transfer over, and so they can't recruit those guys, but they can recruit somebody, you know, out of high school in the Peabody, or they can um, – grad transfers in the Peabody as well. Um but a re really and truly, like, I think if he's allowed to make that comment, then Mike White can make it. And um, our boy that everybody loved, Todd Golden, on Wednesday night from Florida can make it. Yeah, I I'm with you on that part of it, too. And you mentioned the academic part. Like, even if it was, again, it's definitely not Stanford or anything like that. But in hoops, you're only trying to get a couple kids into school a year. Like, I could get it football-wise. You're trying to fill a class like 25 or 30. That could really hamstring you. But, again – Basketball is such a smaller quantity. 
I'm just curious, like uh, that job has always been interesting to me. It doesn't seem like he's going to make it through the year. That'd be interesting to see who they hire. I mean, he's getting fired barring a turnaround, don't you think? You would think so. Um, I think Ken Palm has them winning two SEC games this year. Um, and so that would be three and 15, three and 15, seven, 11, 11 and seven, and then two and 16. Um, that would be his conference record. You would think so. Um, there's It's always felt like the past couple of years, there's some weird things with that athletic department and that AD. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, going to the comment and I've listened to it because sometimes you want to, you see a tweet like that, you want to listen to it as well, just for yeah. the context. And I think he very immediately figured out, like, he was a he was kind of complimentary of Ole Miss after that, um, you know, in a way, because I, I the thing that was frustrating about that is like, why are you making that comment after playing Ole Miss? Yeah, why who are you stumping was, after this? Who last who last year nil was not much different than yours was last yeah. year. Now exactly. Ole Miss was not great last year, but Mississippi State's nil was not much different than Vanderbilt's was last year. Um, and so um, it was higher, and State's was higher than Ole Miss, and State was better than Ole Miss, the whole thing. But, like, do that against Kentucky. Do that against Memphis. Make that comment. I get it a little bit more. I mean, I'll respect him for – I always will give coaches credit for – even though it's not professional, taking shots at their administration via press conferences because sure. I think it takes a lot of a lot of balls to do. But you know, when you're kind of dead man walking, and you know, it's against a team that at some points in time people have argued is the worst program in the SEC and the worst job in the SEC. That that argument has been made before. I'm not saying it was ever true, and I don't think it is today. But it was just a it was a weird game to make that comment. It was. It was a very weird time to make that point. Let's take a look around the SEC a little bit. AM gets off to a tough start in conference play and they rebound with a huge win on Saturday. Buzz's team, you figure they write the ship. What is kind of your read on them to this point? I mean, his tenure there honestly has been kind of interesting to me. Um I, I mean, like I thought he would consistently have them as like a top twenty-five team. Um, and you know, it was kind of one of his dream jobs. They're good enough, um, with Wade Taylor and Coleman. I think they'll get back, you know, to it. Um, they're having to fight and, and claw to get there, really and truly. Their schedule and results is not that big of a red flag outside of losing to LSU. Um, you know, so, um, but him, you know, them that, that Saturday was big though, so. Um, and then you've got Georgia got down big to Tennessee, but then they got it close and then Tennessee went on a run and then, um, you know, it, it, Georgia, Georgia's close. They're better, they're better than I thought they would be. And I think Whitey's got them in a good spot in, in year two as well. Those were the two games that I got to watch, um, outside of Ole Miss Yesterday, I did not get to watch. I wish I could have watched uh, the Bama State game as well. Yeah, I did too. I had it on football, though. I was at a buddy's house. I didn't watch much of that either. 
Alabama, they were unranked coming into conference play. They're now 3-0 in the SEC. They blow out South Carolina at home. They get a road win at state. When you look at Alabama and what you think they might be this year, it seemed disappointing on the surface, but they played a brutal non-conference schedule. I mean, they lose to Ohio State, Clemson, Purdue, Creighton, Arizona. I mean, th those are three – the last three I just named were top seven, top eight teams at the time of playing them. They're going to be fine, it seems like. I still think there's plenty of talent on that team. Granted, you'd love to get like a signature win in conference, but they didn't really beat anyone – terribly good but they seem like more of a product of their schedule in conference play than anything else i think they're probably yeah you're one you're 100 right they're five in the net that's nuts at 11 and five too yeah and they've played seven quad one games this year already um Ole Miss, i would think is maybe let's see Ole Miss has played Played two, I think, one and one. Two or two or three. Ole Miss is one and one in quad one games. So it's only played two, to your point. So, and look, it's a very interesting thing. Um, Bama started scheduling hard under Avery um, because they had their they had an ops guy named Colton Houston, um, who you know was in charge of their schedule. He's very analytically focused and kind of found you know, this formula and algorithm with Matt of how do we schedule tough, but in the most efficient way to have a really good net ranking. Um, after Oates got hired, I think Houston started his own company called HDI Sports that now consults for, um, you know, all these different college programs on scheduling, very similar to what Siski does for recruiting, but for scheduling. Yeah, um, that's an so, interesting concept. Yeah, and I mean, he's probably got 10 to 20 employees under him that are doing this. So they do scheduling, and then I think they do also some advanced analytics and scouting is the two-part approach um, to his company. But Colton um, or HDI Sports obviously still has Alabama as a client. So, you know, Nate still aggressively uses them. And I say all that to say, tying this back to Ole Miss – Ole Miss had some issues with the schedule because it was half built by, you know, Kermit legacy games and half beard to where it was going to be really hard to have a super tough non-conference schedule. Beard wants a tough non-conference schedule. He wants an exciting non-conference schedule to get people interested in basketball before conference play starts. So I think, um, you know, once we get into this summer, y'all, you know, the fan base will hear some things, you know, about some opponents that, um, is a little uncharacteristic in the best of ways from a non-conference scheduling standpoint for the 24-25 season. What the hell is wrong with Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, all I've heard there is, you know, when you bring as many new guys in as they do, chemistry and culture is a really big thing. And there's, you know, kind of some talk that they're having issues with that. They may be a hair less talented um, than people thought. Um, but you know, I mean, right now they look like the worst team outside of Vanderbilt. They're um, zero and three, so, and they've lost the three games by a combined sixty-four points. They've gotten beat at home by Auburn by thirty-two, lost at Georgia by yeah. ten, and lost on the road at Florida, Florida by twenty-two. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Florida. I didn't get to watch any of that game um, yesterday, but just throttled them. So that's going to be one interesting to see. Can must get them just, you know, back serviceable or, you know, sometimes when you start out super 
super bad like that, you can kind of lose the locker room and the, the, the thing can spiral pretty quickly, um, you know, for that season. So that'll be interesting to see. Here in the next week or two, I think you'll have a pretty good pulse on which way it turns for Moss. Schedule helps them a little bit. They get two home games this coming week, and then they play at uh, – they come to Ole Miss, and then after that actually goes back to Kentucky. But at least they get a little bit of a two-week-long home stretch. But like, I watched a decent bit of the Georgia game, and I watched a bunch of their game against Auburn pretty much from start to finish. They, you mentioned, I don't know if this is indicative of the locker room or – maybe not being as talented or whatever it is, but they just did a lot of dumb stuff. I mean, Tom Harden, I think Jimmy Dykes were maybe on the call for that game. And the amount of times they would just like regurgitate the word why almost involuntary, whether it was a foul or a technical or whatever it was, they just did a lot of dumb stuff. That didn't feel like a 32 point loss, you know, 10 minutes into the second half. They just, it, it snowballed on them because they couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah. And I mean, I think look that a lot of that can come down to, just buy in. Um, it's not a doing dumb stuff is and getting technicals. Dumb stuff a lot of times is very similar to you know taking uncontested shots that are not within the flow of the offense. Who does not have that problem this year is Ole Miss, and I think a lot of that is goes into buy in. Perhaps the biggest surprise in the league, Auburn. I think they're really good. I mean, you knew the front court play was going to be good, but it seems like the young guards that they have have really held up, and those guys have played really well, particularly in the early part of SEC play. Um, what? How for real do you think they are? How impressed have they been? Have you been with them? Yeah, I thought that they, um, you know, going into the year, I thought that they would be a tournament team, but I did not think they would be elite like they are. Um, you know, they've got a nice blend of transfers and then experience that came back they play super passionate one thing that I'm super interested to see is like that game when Ole Miss comes into town with coach Flanagan and and Alan and uh you know Alan Flanagan as well that's gonna be an emotional game um and then you know returning the favor in Oxford as well but Bruce has done a really good job with that team because they lost a lot um and they just play super hard um, you know, you're not you're not going to outplay. You know, from an effort standpoint, you're not going to out effort that team as well. Um, and I like I like their bigs too. I think that they their bigs don't mind doing the dirty work. Um, and so they're going to be. I think it's pretty clear cut right now. Kentucky, Tennessee, and Auburn. I still kind of I'm still higher on state maybe than some people are. I just think it's going to take them some time to get Tulu Smith, you know, back in the rhythm. Cause that's not a team flush with guard play and the elite shot making either. Right. I mean, that he has the dentist mantra. They were tough to watch last year, makes the NCAA tournament despite starting one and seven, but really struggled for some offense. Is there, I mean, other than Smith, am I missing something regarding him retooling the roster and getting more scoring? How difficult is that to do? And why do you not think they've kind of found that yet? You, um, are you talking about like uh, Jans last year? I figured they would add yeah. some perimeter shooting. I know that's easier said than done in the portal, but like, how did you yeah. think they would be better than they have been offensively so far this year? I'm just curious if you. Well, they had the um, I think I'm getting his name right. The Andrew Taylor kid that Ole Miss wanted real bad yeah. from Marshall. He averaged 20 a game, so th- they thought that was going to be one of their perimeter scoring weapons. Well, what happens is he comes to state. Um, and sometimes when you play a level up, athleticism gets better. That's a lot harder for you. And then he was a complete liability uh, on the defensive stand, you know, defensive end in the floor. Now, Hubbard, 
you know, I don't know that anybody thought that he'd be doing what he's doing this early outside of him. Um, you know, so he's, he's giving them a lot. Um, I, I did wonder three weeks ago if the Lincoln athleticism of the league would get to him a little bit, but man, he's a, he's a ball player. Almost feels like they need to lean on him a little bit more. I watched some of the South Carolina game and then whoever, uh, the Tennessee, or I went back and watched a little of the Tennessee game they played in the midweek. And like, I know it's tough to rely on a true freshman in the league who's not very experienced, but I mean, down the stretch of that game last night, they were pretty horrendous offensively. I just wonder if they'll continue, if they'll utilize him more in the last five, six minutes of games. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see the, the big piece with, him is can he do it efficiently if you know if you increase his volume um can you do you know if you increase Hubbard's volume can you do it in an efficient manner he's shooting 39 percent from the three right now which is pretty good but 41 percent from the field which is just okay um so I think that that'll kind of be the 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 interesting thing to see with Hubbard going forward Vanderbilt but he's averaging he's averaging he's averaging 15 a game on 23 minutes a game that's pretty I mean, insane. No, pretty insane. Is Vanderbilt the worst team in the league? I haven't watched much of Missouri. Yeah, Vandy, Vandy's Missouri's got some pieces. I mean, like I, I thought they'd be a hair better coming off the tournament. Um, you know that they are, but look, this is a tough league. Um, Vanderbilt is there's a between if you look at the Wednesday night teams in the tournament, you know that's. It could be um, LSU, Arkansas, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, but there's a big talent gap drop off, you know, after those three teams to Vanderbilt. I agree as well. Last thing before we let you get out of here, the week ahead for Ole Miss, they get um, LSU and then they get Auburn on the road. What kind of take me through a little bit of a 10,000 foot preview of what you're looking forward to and looking into the matchup at LSU on Tuesday night. Yeah, um, watching LSU, nothing has jumped off the page offensively for what LSU does. There's nothing that impresses me a ton, but there's not just tons of weaknesses either. They're pre- they've been pretty good defensively, though, this year, so it'll be kind of a fun little uh, chess match between Beard slash Dunwald and, and their staff um, offensively for us. Um, and then look for Auburn. The big thing is, like, Let's put away X's and O's for a second. Both Beard and, and Bruce are great coaches. This is going to be a very intense, hostile, and emotional environment, um, you know, with both of the Flanagans returning back to Auburn. And so I want to see if you had a team that was all freshmen at Ole Miss right now, you're really concerned about that. How are they going to handle it? But this is a group of guys that has, you know, a lot of experience, a lot of transfers, a lot of guys that have played in serious P5 games. Juju Murray has played, you know, in March Madness, et cetera. So in an emotional game, um, in a team that's going to be favored, hostile environment, they're going to go on runs at times. How is How does Ole Miss respond to that adversity? I'm very interested to see uh, for that Saturday game. And I know I feel like it's we say this before every game because this league is such a grueling 
um, slate, no matter how you draw it up. But I mean, LSU, you get this winnable road game. And if you win that, you're guaranteed to be above 500, no matter how the Auburn game goes entering a week where you get a desperate Arkansas team at home and then another road trip to college station. Whereas you lose that LSU game and, you know, a win in the next three games looks a little less likely than it did, you know, prior to it. I, I, I guess I'm just trying to, I don't know. It feels like a decent size swing game before they have another really three road games in the next four after that, I guess would be my point. Agreed. It's a super important game. I mean, look, Ken Palm has them losing. Um, I think Ken Palm has them losing by two or three points. So it's a super important game. LSU also has not been tested just a ton this year. It's kind of hard to, if you just took a step back and looked at their schedule to but never watched them play, it'd be really hard to tell, like, what is LSU? Um, so McMahon's probably saying the same thing that Beard is. So this is going to be an important game. Ole Miss has not played a ton of games on the road this year. The last one wasn't, you know, super pretty. So, I, yeah, it, it's a definitely an important game. But if you can get that one, it takes a little bit of pressure off going into Auburn. Going to be a fun week of basketball. I'm looking forward to it. He is Bracken Ray. I appreciate the time, my man, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Let's do it. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Got a couple more podcasts lined up for you this week. Thanks for listening to this show, as always, and we'll talk to you here again real soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.